Welcome to the Cold Steel Podcast, hosted by Amir Farouk and myself, Chad Ball. We consider it an absolute privilege to bring you guests from around the world who are truly experts in their craft. Our mission is to offer you a combination of not only masterclasses on clinical surgery topics, but also insights into achieving personal growth, productivity, and fulfillment as both a surgeon and perhaps more importantly, as a human. Sometimes it's hard to process what we've all been through collectively over the last two years since the start of COVID-19. We are facing tremendous strains on our healthcare system in Canada, and it's probably fair to say that many healthcare workers are facing burnout. Our guest for this week's episode had a really inspired response to her own feelings of burnout and frustration. Dr. Heather Patterson is an adult and pediatric emergency physician in Calgary. She just released her book, Shadows and Light, which is a book of photographs that document the experience of dealing with the pandemic as a healthcare worker. We caught up with her to ask her about the motivation for the book and what she's learned along the way. You can, of course, find links to both Dr. Patterson's website and to where you can buy the book in the show notes. Can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and where you did your training? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up north of Toronto in a little town called Sharon, which is actually about 45 minutes north of Toronto. And uh, I did my medical school training in Kingston before I went to Calgary for my emergency medicine residency. What drew you to emergency medicine uh, initially? I was one of those people who liked everything. I found choosing a specialty quite difficult. I loved surgery. I liked internal medicine. There was something in almost every specialty that I could appreciate. And what I realized during that time, because I liked so many different things, that perhaps a generalist career would be more in line with with how I appreciated medicine. And then once I started um, doing electives in emergency medicine as a, as a medical student, I appreciated the team dynamics in eMERGE and the cognitive challenges of undifferentiated medicine. And I would say those things have persisted. I, I really do enjoy practicing emergency medicine. You, you recently um, put together a very uh, impressive uh, collection of stories and, and photographs and, and, uh, and prose uh, that surrounded some of the events of, of this recent COVID pandemic. And we're curious to start us off um, how you frame that experience and, and what drew you to start to look at that in the way that you did. I think the truth of, of this whole project, um, being in the hospitals, doing photography, making images and sharing stories um, was a little bit different than perhaps most people expect I actually started this project process before the pandemic hit. And it was because I was in a place where I was feeling burnt out. And I was looking for a way to create a visual reminder about why I make the choice to show up every day, about the purpose and the privilege of practicing medicine. And the pandemic arrived smack dab in the middle of that approval process that I was going through with Alberta Health Services. And by the time I had gained permission to start making photographs at the five hospitals in Calgary, 
the leadership team had said to me, you know, it would actually be great if you would photograph across the spectrum of experiences in the in the system um, so that everybody can see the hard work, the teamwork and the excellence that's happening behind the doors of the hospitals. And so it went from a small emergency department wellness based project to being much greater and more extensive and more inclusive with all of the people who work in the hospitals. So um, people have different responses to feeling burnt out, you know, uh, uh, all those cliches about middle age crises come to mind, you know, people buy cars, people take sabbaticals. What was it about actually like creating a book and particularly taking photographs that you felt just had, you know, had the relevance or spoke to you in terms of dealing with your own burnout? And you write about that beautifully in the kind of like the intro to your book. Mm -hmm. I find in general that um, things in my life, when I'm facing challenges, I'm, I move towards being productive. I'm not very good at sitting in one place when things aren't going well. And so it felt like a, a natural um, process to find something to do, to create something that would be challenging that I could learn through. But I think I was still surprised um, as I went through this project to see how dramatically it impacted my perspectives. And when you think about photography as an art form, we look at the photo that comes at the end of that. But photography is actually as much about the process as it is the end product. And I think it was a process that helped me. It was about intentionally slowing down, being very careful with my observation, watching for details, light, connection, emotion. And doing that in my home environment, in the hospital, gave me a sense of clarity um, about what we were doing, the importance of our work, and how we were impacting each other and our patients. And I think it was that process that kind of pulled me along through this burnout to a place where I actually feel like perhaps more than ever, I appreciate the people I work with and the work that we do. There's so much I want to unpack there, uh, but perhaps from a very mundane point of view, how, how did you actually get permission to start on this project because I, I know uh, all the hospital systems are rightfully quite concerned about patient confidentiality and, and all those kinds of concerns. So how did you actually go about getting permission to, to do this project? So I, I approached this like I would an academic project. I went to the literature and looked for evidence of um, using art as a way of um, sharing stories, looking at that um, and how it would impact people's wellness. And there isn't a lot of literature to support that, but the the small amount that I did, I used to create a, an academic style proposal. And I brought that forward to first my emergency department leadership and then worked all the way through senior leadership of Alberta Health Services. And in addition to that, because nobody has ever proposed a project like this before in Alberta, um, I worked through privacy and legal ethics and communications to really set some very careful parameters so that the net result was a project where people felt well-informed, respected, and safe. And part of that, um, for me, was having a great understanding of how to consent people. So each person who is identifiable in the images, and that means they would be able to recognize themselves or any part of their body, were consented extensively to participate. And I think because there was such diligence around that area and that my project principle was really to put people first and keep that at the forefront, the um, the leadership of Alberta Health Services were willing to move ahead and take this risk um, doing this project. 
That's so interesting. Did you have a fair number of people that declined or was everybody for the most part enthusiastic when you approached them at the patient level? So I I did a bit of a pre-screen. So I didn't have a lot of people who declined. And part of that was, number one, um, I approached people who would be able to consent. So certainly those who had capacity to understand. So um, that was my first screening. And I would ask nurses and physicians um, where they thought the patient was at if they felt that it would be appropriate at that time. Um, And secondly, um, I worked really hard to ensure that I wasn't being invasive. So if people were having a difficult time or um, I got a sense that the family perhaps wouldn't be happy um, participating from the individual, then I very quickly stepped away. This, again, was really a project about the people. And so making sure that it was not invasive for them personally was a really important step. Uh, makes total sense. So I, I'm going to geek out here a little bit. <laughs> pu- publicly state that I have zero talent at photography. But boy, oh boy, <laughs> do, do, do I appreciate it, though. I, I At the highest level, very much like music. My comments, you know, would, would be the same. Tell tell us um, how photography, why photography, what's your background in it? How did the technical element of it come to you and, and, uh, and go for you? Mm -hmm. So at a baseline, I think I come from a family of storytellers. And so both that, um, that visual storytelling and as well as actually the physical telling of the stories has been a big part of my childhood. We look at old photos, old slides, we tell the same stories. My children know all of our family history stories. And so I think that's kind of woven a bit into the fabric of who I am. And so I always carried a camera. And it was really when I had a university roommate who was an excellent photographer, now a neuroscientist at at Oxford, um, he really encouraged me to pick up a camera and try it as an artistic medium. And I did. And it was great. Um, We took pictures of landscapes primarily. But as you have children, there is not an option for getting up early or staying up late. Um, They drain all of your energy. And uh, that wasn't an option. So I turned towards um, doing more family photography and, and images about people. But photographing in the hospital is incredibly difficult. My main tool as a photographer is light. And everyone who's been in a hospital knows that it is horrendously ugly. Um, It is overhead fluorescent lights, non-directional. There is nothing warm and inviting about, about making images in the hospital environment. But I think because I'm a physician, I'm in a unique position of understanding the subject matter. And that's the next step for photography is capturing not just what life looks like, but what it feels like. And it requires that deep understanding. And so being a photographer and a physician allowed me to position myself in the right locations to anticipate what was happening. But the technical aspects with the light, shooting through my own PPE, into the eyes of other people that were covered in reflective surfaces and and downward shadows from the lights, that took a long time to figure out. It took me quite a while to sort out how I could find a way to make facial expressions apparent um, in order to make sure that we were capturing the emotions, what what those moments felt like, not just a blanket, what they looked like. How how do you then take the photographs, uh, which you know you chose to do in black and white and with your style, and marry them with with prose, with with language and story. How, how does that 
process begin and and how did how does it uh how is it fine-tuned through iterations of of editing so i'm a bit of a black and white kind of person um i'm not i've never really been the touchy-feely hugging kind of person working on that um and so in the process of doing this project i had a wonderful fine art photographer mentor and she's actually an army nurse in the u.s and um, one of the things she said to me that I absolutely had to do was journal. <laughs> I could not believe that was a suggestion to go along with photography. It's like, oh, I do not write and I am not someone who's going to journal. But she really did insist. So um, every day when I photographed, I would write down the experience of what that felt like, the patient stories, the staff stories. And what it allowed me to do was go from seeing the images to understanding what I was experiencing, what people were experiencing on a much deeper level. So I think that's where it started. And when I went to um, to, to speak with publishers about creating a book, they were quite interested in my experience. And so I really drew on that journaling and, and written experience to start me along the lines of my own story. And I think what becomes important when you're writing is that you're authentic and that you're vulnerable. So I think that process was quite difficult. I had a series of editors who were outstanding, who challenged me to dig deeper, to explain with, with much more detail than perhaps I would have originally. Um, and again, it put me in that place of having to explore what I had experienced um, at really a different level than I had intended, which is a great thing in the end. But the process itself was was absolutely challenging. Yeah, I mean, you, you really get a sense of looking at these pictures. In, in one sense, you almost get a sense of what you are like as a person and not just about the the people that you're taking photographs of. And you can kind of see some of your personality shine through. And, um, you know, like some, one of the pictures that really struck me was uh, this picture that you took of an emer one of the Emerge Docs and the intensivists uh, mm. were kind of standing there kind of looking at each other, holding hands. And um, they, you know, you mentioned in the caption that they had never worked with each other prior to COVID. And so like you get the sense from looking at uh, the pictures and the descriptions that like the things that really matter to you are people. Um, and, and so I'm curious, what was the process? Like, how did it feel to actually be in that moment taking photographs of things that must have really spoken to you emotionally and did it change, the, you know, your sort of relationship with what was going on being behind the camera? And did it maybe change anything in the moment for the people who were involved as well? So um, thank you for that compliment. Yes, people are are very important to me. And I think being behind the lens in a place where I normally feel more emotional detachment, which I think is key in emergency medicine or in any medical situation in order to make difficult decisions um, with acute care of sick people. Um, so being behind that lens absolutely um, made me experience that emotion of connection. It made me feel um, the importance of, of those relationship bits, even 
um, between physicians and other physicians, like the picture you're talking about, the husband and wife team, those connection points became more salient. And in that, I think I gave them even more importance to myself. So as a physician, then taking that um, acknowledgement of the importance of our connection points as a team, um, I think that made me just more aware of it when I was working clinically. And so it's similarly with the patients, I actually, as the photographer, did not have that same um, distancing that I would normally have if the patient was one of my own, because I never photographed one of my own patients. Um, I consider that a conflict of interest. Um, and so that connection to our patients and their families certainly impacted how I care for them. A real deep understanding that what we do with our patients and how we interact there, particularly when people weren't at the bedside, became even more of an important part of my practice. So taking that extra time to make sure the family was updated regularly, had um, a good concrete understanding of the plan and how their family member was doing in hospital. You know, I find it interesting that you say that in some ways, when you were taking the photographs, you actually became more sort of emotionally invested in kind of the scenario and the situation going on. You know, like uh, there, there's some a lot, a few pictures in the book of patients being prone. And that one, that one particularly, you know, spoke to me, too, because it's just it's not, you know, if you've been there, you know what a crazy and, you mm -hmm. know, powerful experience it is to have someone prone or like the, the other picture that really you know those really stood out for me was the the picture you know people writing on the ICU doors like mm -hmm. if you like that is such a power profound and powerful kind of experience when you step back and look at it and I'm, I'm curious about like when you're a, a clinician you know we talk about empathy right and having empathy with patients like how do you balance this idea of being detached you know, so that you could be a quote unquote good clinician, but then also being aware of the profound moments that we're being a part of in these patients' lives. And, and I'm also curious about how this relates to your burnout, because I, I, I think for many of us, and I, I, I don't know about you, but I think for many of us, a, a big part of burnout is when you stop feeling that empathy for patients and you stop caring about the patient in front of you and you, you kind of exaggerate the detachment because you don't want to feel the pain. I've seen, you know, your the patient that you you, you know you operated on now has metastatic cancer. So, how, how do you balance that feeling of empathy, emotion, detachment, as both a, a photographer and and perhaps more importantly as a clinician? Yeah, I think the first thing is that you you outlined that beautifully. I mean, I think burnout um, is something that is so complex and it's that interplay of systems and personal issues and everybody's experience is different. But that uniting feeling of detachment is is absolutely present. And I think that my photography work allowed me to step away from that. It allowed me to feel things in an environment where I would normally suppress that. And it was interesting because I was seeing more tragedy. You would think that perhaps it would actually cause the opposite, where I would want to be more guarded and more personally protective. But I think what it did was it actually created it. It created more of um, an empathetic response because I didn't have to make those decisions. I could just be another person at the bedside. But then to balance that and create that in my career, I think that's a bit trickier because we do need that professional detachment. So for me, I am now more diligent about acknowledging 
the fact that we're managing a very difficult, challenging case. I do half adult, half pediatrics and running pediatric resuscitations and having children of my own, having parents stand beside me, grieving the process, that is an emotional situation. Um, and I cannot experience emotions in those moments. My job is to care for that patient. There is nothing else that I want to focus on at that time. But for me now, I can acknowledge that and say, wow, this is horrendous. I don't like this. I've got it. Um, and later on, I will then take the time to feel the case and to let myself feel lousy about it and and experience that. And I debrief it with my husband, who's also an emergency physician. I use my artistic outlets as a way of managing and I exercise. And the combination of those things now um, has put me in a much better place, I think, rather than just pocketing that horrendous um, and sometimes traumatic experience in the closet of your soul and never processing it. I think that's the, for me, the danger of, of leaving it there um, is becoming burnt out again. I think that's so well said, and we can certainly learn a lot from the mechanics of, of what you just uh, uh, said and what you suggested. I'm curious, you know, there's so many beautiful stories uh, and obviously photo uh, photographs in your book. Is there one or two that particularly stands out to you that you're comfortable to chat about? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple things that stand out. So one of the things that I learned in this project is really the juxtaposition of joy and tragedy and how... Um, how those things can be side by side and actually accentuate um, moments of beauty within each of them. So starting with some of the, the tragic moments, um, there is a gentleman who I met who did not survive and his name is Sam. And I met Sam on the day that he was in hospital and received his email that he was going to be vaccinated. And he had a stable underlying medical problem um, and so he'd been off on medical leave through the first and the second wave, but was awaiting an extension of that leave for the third wave. He worked in a grocery store and Sam loved his community. And I think that's what stood out because I've stayed in touch with his family. I've been to a celebration of life and um, he was a people person. And when his work at the grocery store, um, when when his colleagues called for help and said, we cannot staff this, he felt compelled to help his community. And as an essential worker, he went to work for three days and he acquired COVID. And the thing about Sam that was interesting when I met him is that he shared his story and he wanted to share his story but he was equally, if not more, interested in everyone else's story. And he had a profound impact on the people who cared for him, the people who were involved as non-clinical support staff being in his room. He was an incredible human. I'd stick my head in every now and then and say hello to him. And uh, I hadn't been at the hospital in his hospital for about a week. When I popped my head in to see how he was doing, he was gone. And I had this moment of real celebration where I thought, you know what, this is fabulous. Sam has gone home and carried on to the ICU where I was planning on photographing for the morning. 
And I walked into a room where a patient was being moved from the prone to the supine patient. I was standing at the head of the bed and um, photographing the incredible efforts and teamwork. I love photographing proning. It is it is an exceptional, um, exceptional event to photograph. And as they turned the patient, I saw that it was Sam. And it was a, a moment of devastation. I could not believe that he had changed so dramatically in the short time that I had I hadn't seen him. Um, and I I love that story and I, I share that story out of respect for all the people in the hospital and outside of the hospital who put themselves in harm's way, who served their community and who left a real gap, a real hole in their families' lives. And I think um, honoring those people is such an important part of this project as well. And so I often think about Sam and his family and his sacrifice and remember that what we all do is important and, and impactful in our, our um, the lives of the people that were around. But I juxtapose that with stories of joy. And if you um, look at the picture of a birthday party celebration, I, I put that beside it because it was roughly um, a few months apart. And I met a gentleman named Jim. He'd been told he was going to die on the day that I met him. And so I had that sense of, oh, here we go again. Am I really going to put myself out there and feel these tragic emotions again? And Jim told me he was turning 62 in a couple of weeks. And he told me he was going to survive to his birthday and he was going to have dancing ladies so help him. And I was like, dude, we don't bring dancing ladies to the hospital. Like it is not going to happen. And uh, I would check in with his family members or with Jim on a pretty regular basis because I, I was feeling that um, a bit of angst about whether or not Jim would survive. And uh, I was speaking to his partner, Judy, and she had said, oh, guess what? It's his birthday next week. He's going to make it. And so with the charge nurse on the COVID ward at the Foothills Hospital, um, we arranged to have all of the staff come outside his room and, and dance. And they did the chicken dance and he laughed and clapped. He FaceTimed his elderly mother and really celebrated um, with Jim. You know, it, and moments like that, you don't see them very often, um, but they're so important to look for and to remember that positive impact that we can all have. Those are both two amazing stories. There's, there's no doubt, and you know your book is is uh, is absolutely chock full of them. I, I'm curious, what is your ultimate goal? And you touched on it initially a little bit, but. In, in terms of the the end position of this book, how how do you want it to impact people, and and how does that align maybe with your intent when you started the process compared to when you ended it? So I think the the start and the end goal remains the same from a healthcare pers perspective. My goal was to create a wellness-based project, something that would inspire us to remember why we get up every day and do this job on the days that are good, on the days that are bad, and on the days that are somewhere in between. What we do is so impactful. Our work is incredible. And I want people to be able to see themselves and realize that we do great work and and it is so valuable and so i hope that that message shines through and also that it gives a sense of hope for people who might be also experiencing burnout 
Um, I learned that it is not a sentence to your career. I found ways that um, moving from um, burnout towards a place of wellness actually points me in the direction of career longevity and satisfaction. And I may experience symptoms of burnout throughout my career, but I know now the trajectory. And I hope that this book allows people to not feel alone in that process, because I think it is quite isolating. From a public perspective, I hope that it moves people from statistics back to the individual. COVID became so highly politicized over the uh, last two years that I think people forget. They get wrapped up similar to what we do with burnout in the systems issues and the politics. But what it comes down to is the people. And so I hope it moves us to see the individuals who are directly affected, but also us as people who work inside the hospital and what we experienced and that it can generate some empathy and a sense of togetherness again, rather than the huge divisiveness that COVID has become. I must say the, the pictures that you have of the other staff in the hospital, there's one of the, this nurse, I think, what's her first name? Sher- Sherry, maybe? Yep, that's uh, right. Yeah. And, and you can just see she's wearing a mask and she has that like you know, what we've all come to become very used to, which uh, which is like the pockmarks in your nose from wearing an N95 mask all day, every day. How have you found the response uh, from other colleagues? Like when pe- when you told people you were doing this and then when you, when you were actually there in the space taking photographs, what did your colleagues kind of say to you? Were they surprised? Were they, um, were they supportive? How did that go down? People were very supportive. I started in the emergency department because I think I needed to get my feet underneath me as well. And that was an easy place to start. People were quite keen to participate and often actually would text me or email me and say, when are you going to be there? Make sure you're there when I'm there. Um, It was a bit of a morale boost, I think, because it was an acknowledgement of what we were doing. And uh, as I moved throughout the hospital system, I found that almost universally. And in fact, people who originally said, I don't like my picture being taken and would shy away a little bit, actually started seeking me out, saying, I'm good now. (laughs) Take my take my photograph. And so the I would say the staff response was universally positive. And, you know, you were saying about one of your objectives was for the the public to really um to under, sort of understand the, the human faces behind this pandemic that we've been through. And, and I have to say there's some of your pictures are, you know, there, there's a political aspect to them. You know, you have some pictures there of some some physicians looking outside while there are protesters outside and, you know, police corralling protesters um, out, outside the hospital. And what was it like to photograph those moments? Like, how did you personally feel in that moment? And do you think there's a way forward from the you know the polarization that we're having specifically around COVID and maybe more generally in our society? And I know that's a huge question. Mm-hmm. Definitely a huge question. So firstly, I actually at the beginning of this project set out not to be political, which is ironic because I think any documentary photography work is political because you are showing a controversial um, time in history often. And um I think that it is an important part of the story, an important part of our experience to have walked through protesters. And the the day that I photographed them, I had actually spent a day photographing people who were vaccinated and dying in the ICU. And so to come outside and then fear, I mean, a bit fear for your safety. I mean, you drive through that crowd as they shook their fists at us. Um, 
It it was it was very um, it was very difficult, and I actually moved more back to a place of detachment because I didn't want to experience the anger and frustration um, as I was photographing. But I think it still comes through that that sense of I can't believe this is happening as I was photographing from the parking garage at the Foothills Hospital. Um, how do we move forward from this, man? That is such a difficult question. I wish I could compel everybody to see the individuals. Um, I, I would love to be able to convince people to see the truth. But I know that convincing people isn't the right answer. I think for me, living by my own personal values, showing kindness and compassion, remembering the individual helps me move away from that frustration and place of anger towards people who were protesting and and um, perhaps um, not helping us out in the hospital environment at all. But how to create that that sense of unity again as a people? That's a great question. We had that sense of unity. It felt like very transiently at the beginning of the pandemic where people noticed what others were going through. So perhaps maybe that's the secret. Maybe it's just having that awareness of what's happening outside of your own life, looking at your neighbor, your friend, your colleague, your family member, and recognizing what their experience is and generating empathy for those other people. Maybe that's the start, right? It doesn't have to be banging pots and pans outside the window, but maybe it's an acknowledgement that um, everybody has a, a story. I I find that such a powerful and moving way of describing it. You know, like, um, I, I think that's really what your book has done in many ways. It kind of reminds me in some ways of, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that Facebook page, uh, Humans of New York, where yeah. You know, they, yeah, they take pictures and they have this caption of like, what that person is going through and somehow for all the like statistics about something you know hearing someone's individual story and looking at a picture of their face or their hand or whatever it speaks to you in a different way so it's so really you know congratulations on that um what's something you know that you've learned from this process you know if there was there anything surprising or different than what you were expecting to get out of this project that you you ultimately learned from from doing it I think that I learned a lot of different things. I, a key lesson that I carry with me is to have a component of optimism, to look for moments of joy or connection or goodness. And, and you can do that every day, everywhere. There's always something good. And I think I learned that for my career longevity and satisfaction, I don't need my entire clinical day to be spectacular but I do need to find at least one good thing that kind of pulls me along and reminds me about why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and that's a real key learning piece for me. I was really surprised by the impact um, that this project has had both personally and, and with my colleagues. And I think I learned with that the power of authenticity and vulnerability. It was not my intention to write a book um, sharing that I was burnt out. In fact, um, when I first spoke to some people in my department about it, the consensus was don't tell anyone. So I wrote a book about it. Um, and so I think that it really illustrates the importance of having real conversations, of being authentic with our colleagues and the impact that can have. So those were two really big learning points for me that have impacted how I move forward. I'm curious, you know, now that you've so beautifully married language and stories with with these incredible photographs, what are your plans going forward? Or would you see doing 
this sort of um, a project or, or using this method of communication again? Or is this a one-off for you? What What's next uh, down your road? I think I am open to what comes my way. I haven't decided the specifics of my next project, but I most certainly want to continue being a visual and written storyteller in the hospital setting. I think that it can be a variety of different things, whether it's in developing countries, highlighting the hard work that people are doing in the stories there, or in our Canadian hospitals across the country, showing the unique aspects of different programs, different specialties. Again, to highlight that exceptional work that's being done, I think there's a lot of different applications and and over the upcoming months as uh, as this book takes flight, I hope to be able to engage in, in conversations with people about how I can photograph in those different centres across Canada, in operating rooms and clinics, um, really in order to promote wellness, to share our stories and to create a visual history about what Canadian healthcare looks like. We don't have a lot of images from an inside perspective. And I think it's been an incredible honor and privilege to be able to do that. And I certainly hope to continue. Where can our listeners buy your book? Uh, how can they access it? And, uh, and more importantly, maybe access you? Yeah. So the best way to find me is either on Instagram, which is heather.l.patterson, or my website, which is heatherpattersonphotography.com. Um, that directly links to me. And I'm always happy to hear from people, answer questions, talk about how I can come to your center. And then to find the book, um, perhaps easiest in Canada is Indigo. And you can find that online. Amazon is also a great option. And then if you're from the United States, um, you can look at Barnes & Noble. There's independent bookstores across the continent that are carrying the book, which is very exciting. Um, but most reliably and probably the most convenient is to order online through those different book um, book locations. That's fantastic. You know, Heather, having listened to the podcast, you'll know that we always close it out with, with a common uh, recurring question for all of our guests. And, and, and so for you today, um, tell us, you know, if you were to go back and, talk to your your younger self whether that's as a trainee or whether that's starting as a junior faculty when you did what what sort of advice and, and commentary would you offer yourself I think I would tell myself to take myself less seriously <laughs> I really do I I think I felt um I think I felt the weight of of my training but I think that remembering to have joy and have fun in life um, to have perspective and remember that there is life both in and outside of medicine would have been a great piece of advice. Remember to maintain your hobbies and stay connected to your friends and family as a way of balancing out the, the stressors of our career. You've been listening to Cold Steel the official podcast of the Canadian Journal of Surgery. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts, comments, and feedback. So send us an email at podcast.cjs at gmail.com or tweet at us at CanJSurge. Thanks again.